This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Hi everyone and welcome to Asia Torah here in uh, the Holy City of Jerusalem. This is the Essentials Program. Do you mind sitting here so you're not behind me? When you're ready, whenever you're ready. Um, in the Essentials Program. And uh, this is Practical Spirituality. And today we discuss constricted consciousness. The, the constricted consciousness is the... Uh, is something that all of us deal with. It's uh, it's basically when your mind uh, kind of hijacks you and takes you to a ver- and makes you feel like you're in a really small place. And it um, it'll make you, for example, it might make you uh, jealous. Jealousy is a total constricted consciousness place. Um, it's feeling a sense of scarcity, uh, feeling trapped. Uh, perhaps boredom. Wouldn't have thought of that, but but maybe bored. Um, but definitely trapped. Um, what's another example? Anyone out there of what constricted consciousness type thinking is? Angry. Yeah, anger. Anger is definitely constricted consciousness, right? What's the source of anger? Anger is when I wish it'd be this way, but it's not, and then I get angry. I mean, I mean, I wish. My kid would X, Y, and Z. He's not. I'm angry. I wish this car would not cut in right now, but he did. I'm angry. Anger is, and that's why they say anger is like idolatry. Because God's plan, obviously God's revealing the world to you in such a way that you got cut off. (laughs) You've been cut off by another vehicle. That was God's plan, obviously, because otherwise that car wouldn't have done it. And so... So the fact that you're angry about that means your will's more important than God's will. Because you wished he didn't do that. And then when you get that road rage, that's idolatry. Because you're, you're, basically you're taking God out and putting you in. And it's a, it's a nice thing to get for all of us is as we are deeper in our amunah with Hashem, that we're able to see circumstances that are not going our way as... Well, it's definitely going God's way, and so I can I can nullify myself to to it. Um, pressure. What's that? Pressure. Pressure. Okay. When uh, that's more of a feeling, but when we're feeling pressure, we're probably in constrictive consciousness. That that feeling is going to tell you that there's. What, what are other examples of the actual consciousness of uh, constriction? Unsatisfaction. Okay. Excellent. Um, being unsatisfied with things, with uh, maybe your financials, your marriage, your friendships, your uh, housing, or the city you're in, the job you're in, unsatisfied is definitely constricted consciousness. Hatred. Hatred, very good. That's super constricted. You know, uh, God, you know, the people you hate, God loves. So, like, what's your problem? You know what I mean? Like, they, uh, there are people that you may hate, but how many billions of processes are going on in that person's body that are all being done by God? This guy's being, this guy or girl is being sustained by the Creator with love every moment, even though they're doing wrong and hurting people. And so, you hating them is a total constricted consciousness because God's God's cool with them. They're God seems to be okay with them. They're they're not getting struck by lightning. So, obviously, God's, God wants them here. Okay, uh, any other examples? Regret. 
Yeah, excellent and regrets a big one. You know, like st stuff that you can't change because it happened. You already did it. I mean, you can do teshuva, but but the regret is definitely a constricted consciousness. So that's, an, so that's an aspect of it. Kobe, any uh, thoughts about my guitar? Send me an email in the morning. What'd you say? We didn't find it. You didn't find it? We have the camera until 15, and it's not over yet. You can see that in the projection room? You only have till the 15th? Um, so I should have spoken. We should have done the cameras two weeks ago. Shame. My guitar is missing. It's going to come back. I never lose anything. I worked for years to develop this, this uh, protective shield on my stuff. And uh, so it's just a question of where my guitar is. So. It just got to get back. Please go. What? Someone borrowed the building. Yeah, well, I think someone borrowed it and then found the building locked. I keep it in the building. And then they put it somewhere and forgot. So, please God, it'll come back. You know what? I'll do this Agula now. Um, I'm a Okay, tune in later and find out where my guitar was. Yeah. Always, How do you get a protective shield around your stuff? So it took a few years. I, um, what you do is you don't guard any of your stuff. Right. You trust everybody. And it takes a couple of years of losing stuff. Many people will steal it um, for a few years. But you just keep going. Trust, 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 trust with your stuff. And then, uh, and then uh, by the way, did I say trust with your body? No, I said trust with your stuff. Did I say trust in business? I did not say trust in business. In business, we have contracts. Torah tells us contracts. Just your stuff, like the metal telling, the loose stuff. Trust with your loose stuff. And and just trust. Like No one's taking it. You know, I mean, don't be an idiot. Meaning don't leave your bike unlocked in uh, you know the Arab Quarter or something. You know, and, and that wasn't racist. It was just simple reality. The... Um, don't leave your bike locked. Um, unlocked, unlocked. But this is a high way to stay. Yeah, well, you can get there anyway. So you lose stuff for about four or five years. Most of your stuff you won't lose. You'll lose some stuff. And uh, but let me tell you why it's a pleasure. Because some of you are looking at me. Why would I do this? Why? That doesn't make any sense. And I'll tell you why it makes total sense. Tell me, how much would you spend? How much would you spend yearly to know that you never, ever have to worry about losing your things? How much do you spend yearly? I mean, if you have no money, okay, so maybe you spend 50 bucks a year. Meaning you get a subscription that you never lose anything. How much would you spend? Yeah, so if you don't have a lot of money, 50. I was raised a rich kid, so I always said I would spend 800 bucks a year. I'd spend 800 bucks a year to like, you know, have a subscription that I never, it's an insurance policy. I will never lose anything all year. So I don't have to worry about losing stuff out of my car, my car stereo, my surfboards, my wetsuits, you know. What about Sfarim with your Sfarim. So anyway, so what I did was I did my years, the years I learned how to trust 
and protect my stuff through trust was my college years. And my, my friends would laugh at me at the end of the year and they'd say, well, we did the math, you lost about $600 worth of stuff this year. And I would say, huh, that's a savings of 200 And then the next year they're like, you lost $400. I'm like, that's a savings of 400 and they And they would laugh and I would laugh. But by the end of college, that was it. No one ever took anything after that because you pour trust into people. And you, so it's, it's a blessing to trust people. Um, you'll find that even thieves won't steal from you, meaning they'll steal from maybe someone standing next to you, but they won't steal from you because they so appreciate There's someone in the world, i.e. Yom Tov, that trusts me. I'm not stealing from the one guy who trusts me. I don't want to burn the one bridge I got. And so you become someone, listen to this, so not only do you get to chill about your own stuff, again, it takes a couple of years, you'll lose stuff for a couple of years until you really get it wired. Not only do you have to never worry about your stuff, which is a pleasure, the other is, you can start building people. You can be a builder of human beings. Because the only way to build a person is trust. Trust is the key to building. You know, think about who's built you the most. The people who held of you. People who felt you were worthy of their time, of their trust. of their. It's the people who trust you are the people you love the most. They're the ones who, like, they're the ones who make you feel like you could succeed. And so, if you want to build human beings, you must trust them. And, and, you know, you're never going to grow if, with someone who you don't think really trusts you. This is the whole issue with kids at risk. Kids at risk. But the people who help kids at risk don't trust them. And so it's hard to grow. A lot of the one-year programs in Israel, they don't trust the kids. Yeah. They give them a ton of rules. Even though the guy's 18, he could be in university. You know, on, you know, two liters of tequila. You know, acting like a total idiot for a year straight. No one's going to say a word to him. But like you, but you, you come to a yeshiva, all of a sudden you're not trusted to do anything on your own. You know, for, for not just that year, the next year, then you're, you're 22 and you still got rules. You know, you're not trusted. Not you, only that, when you break the rules, you really break the rules. What do you mean? Because you, if you have all these rules, when you get mad and say, okay, I'm tired of these rules, something really crazy. <laughs> I mean, it's not just the yeshiva rules, rules. you're going to break the, uh, the Torah rules. <laughs> you start mitching, uh, you start, uh, so mishing the, uh, blurring yeah. the yeshiva rules with rules with the God rules. You know. Anyway, this is a big mistake people make. And they say they're out to help people. Like, obviously, I really love people who have taken on helping kids at risk. I love them, I'm proud of them, I think it's beautiful. But so many of them are missing the key ingredient. Well, you know, sometimes I think some people... Hey, what's up? Can I ask you just to give these, this couple a table, and you're going to come sit next to this lady. Can you slide over one, please? These are just, this couple are some of my veteran students. You, wanna, you want some air? You can put on some air for a few minutes. Yeah, just press the power button right there. You got it? You've got to have some rules, though, no? Where do you draw the line between... Uh, there are... There are 613 hyperlinks that lead to 55,000 rules. I don't think yeshivas have to add anything to that. Okay, but I'm saying your seminar, for example, has rules that aren't... That, those rules are only during that week, and they're just to train they're for a specific training. Yeshivas aren't training? Training? Yeah. You mean like a rule like be there on time? Like be at class at 9 a.m.? That's, that's, not, that's not called a rule. That's not a rule. Okay, but that's also not in the Torah. 
one is one is uh, integrity, like expecting integrity. There's a contract when you join a yeshiva. You're joining a yeshiva. There's a it's a unspoken contract that when class starts, you're there. So we're just talking about basic integrity, but that's not. Okay, but so what are unnecessary rules that you should Unnecessary rules? Yeah. Curfews. Um, alcohol policies. You know, for an 18-year-old in a place where it's absolutely 100% legal to drink alcohol. Um, some of alcohol policies. Um, sleeping out. Like, you're going to tell an 18-year-old man who's 6,000 miles away from his family that he can't sleep out. You know, I, how are you ever going to build the guy? How how do you get built if you can't crash on someone's floor? You know, a couple miles away from where he his dormitory. Like that that those experiences are what built all of us. Like we're made of the amazing adventures we were went on. We're we're more built from our adventures than we're built from you know the day to day stuff that we learn. What would you say about drug policies? Same. Saying, let, let the kids spin out and like learn some lessons. <laughs> so now, obviously, if he's got an addictive personality and he's got serious issues and he's going to use this as his new bandage, so he needs therapy. But um, and he maybe doesn't belong in a regular yeshiva program. But okay, so um, anyway, but those are my ideas. I'm probably the only one with them. But uh, let me just finish. We're doing right now a, a mini unit on trust. And just to end that, just to kind of bookmark it, is, uh, sorry, bookend it, is, is that the way you build people is with trust. Trust is the key to building a person. Claire? <laughs> Someone wants me to show the class on the, they're like, we want to see everybody. Are they, everyone says my classes are so much more interesting when, when they get to see the crowd. Mm-hmm. You, know, you agree? <laughs> I watch a lot of them, bro. Okay. It's up to you whether you want to duck or not. Okay, there's some of the people. Everyone say hi. 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 Hey. Hi, oh, you're waving? There you go. <laughs> there's some people. People. You want to say hi? Yeah. It's just Facebook Live. There's only a... Uh, there's only a... Uh, you're going to have to bring this back because I... Bring this back. I don't know how many people are watching. Four There, how's that? Yeah, sorry. Do it from the bottom. The bottom's the price. Okay. Now, uh, aren't you glad you asked? Now the thing's going crazy. Okay. Oh, wait, we're still on that. Yeah. <laughs> it's on. It's on. It's got me in a little girl's crown. <laughs> that is so funny. Has that been showing up this whole time? I don't even know how to fix that. Sure. Should I just leave it? No. I don't know. I don't know how to fix it. Oh wait, there it is. <laughs> As it says, it's not Purim anymore. Okay. Let me do it by this thing, when I got in a certain location, was putting a little like crown on my on my head. Does that show up on the actual recording as well? Ezra, you're handing out cookies. Apparently, they're so <laughs> so sweet. All right, um, back to our business. 
so that all those examples were called moichin dekatnis, or otherwise known as constricted consciousness. And and to get out, how do you get out of constricted consciousness? So there's various ways. One of those ways is using foreign substance, substances, for example, alcohol. Alcohol is uh, and only very little. I'm talking about like literally one glass of wine and not more. But to have a glass of wine is an instant expanded consciousness. That's one of the reasons why our sages say that you make kiddush on wine. It's called kiddush ala yayin. It's, you'd make kiddush on wine, not on grape juice, okay? If your host makes kiddush on grape juice, I suggest you walk out. <laughs> I remember I was at the Western Wall, and I, I, I rarely go there Friday night, but I was there. And, you know, a lot of my A students were so excited. So they, they like, searched to find someone secular to bring to me. <laughs> so they finally find... I didn't know they were doing this. I'm praying. And they finally find someone, and they, like, like, like eight of my students, like, marched this secular guy up to me. You know, you, Rabbi Glazer will take care of this. You know, he'll fix, he'll fix this situation. Yeah. So, so they bring him up to me, and I'm like, he's a goy. And they're like, what? And because the guy was pretending to be Jewish at the Kotel, you know, just to get away with it. You know, he's wearing a regular kippah. He wasn't wearing one of those Kotel models, you know. And so I'm like, he's a goy. And, my, and the students are like, what do you mean he's a goy? I'm like, he's not just a goy. He's a Mormon. And he goes, how did you know? And I said, I can just see. And I, I said, yeah, I said you, you, never, you never had a sip of alcohol in your life. And he's like... Yeah, what's wrong with that? And I said, I don't trust people who don't drink alcohol. <laughs> and he says, why not? And I said, because you don't know how to laugh at yourself. Take yourself too seriously. And he says, he says, I don't take myself too seriously. And I, said, <laughs> I said, well then, go join that group and pray. You know, and, he, and my brother, would have, Sam, happened to be leading a minion, so he went and joined, joined my brother's minion. So there he was holding his sitter upside down. <laughs> Didn't know which way to hold it. They had to get him an English one. So, anyway, but that's one. It is alcohol expands consciousness. Uh, I'm sure there are other substances, but uh, we're not going to go into those. Okay, but they, but that's, yeah. that's one thing that works. Uh, another thing is uh, is to get out uh, into nature. Nature expands, expands consciousness. You're out in a world where everything you're looking at is way older than you. You understand? They're, they're, they're part of this history. And they're, they, you know, you're looking at old trees that can be hundreds of years old. You know, depending what, where you are, it could be thousands of years old. You know, we have olive trees that are you know, 1,500-year-old olive trees that you just walk by when you're out there. You know, there's a bigger thing going on besides your situation, which is like, seems so small. So that's another one, is just to get yourself out into the world, because everything's so old out there, and it's just got a much uh, more expanded uh, time frame, uh, which includes hikes in beautiful places as well, because they're Earth. You know, cities don't have expanded time frames generally compared to uh, nature, which has expanded time frame. Um, another thing is to speak to a chacham. 
is you go to someone with expanded consciousness and you borrow it. You just got to be around someone who's got that expanded consciousness. So you go to a Chacham. Chachamim have expanded consciousness. And uh, obviously each one of us is supposed to have a a Chacham, they have a Rebbe, someone who they go to. And But that's where you go when you're contracted. You go to a Chacham. Uh, another thing is you learn certain parts of Torah, which are the more spiritual parts of Torah, um, which are usually more Kabbalistic. Um, that tends to expand the consciousness as well, learning more Kabbalistic Torah. Uh, another thing is that you can do, like right here at home, is is to distinguish your, your thinking from yourself, because you're not your thinking. Right? You have thinking, but you're not the thinking. You know, there's no I in an MRI. When you, when you put a body in an MRI, it doesn't, you don't show up on the screen, your body does. But your actual experience of life will not show up on that screen. Which is kind of funny, because you're inside that big tube, and you're like, what the hell? You know, and you just clunk, 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 and like knocks and bangs and stuff, and you're inside this tube. So like, shouldn't your experience have shown up on the screen? I mean, is there something wrong with the MRI that you're not on his screen? But you're not. You're in your that experience you're having in the tube will not be on the anything on the MRI. So they can check your skin, they can check your heart, they can check your bones, they can check your connective tissue, they can check the whole body in an MRI. But the most important part of your experience of the MRI missed was totally missed. They missed that, and that's your consciousness. So there's no I, meaning me, there's no you. There's no I in the MRI. Because the I is not, the I, the consciousness, is not part of the body. And so just doing that little shift of separating my consciousness from my thinking about things. Because you'll notice we're talking about constricted consciousness. And constricted consciousness is because you've been, your, your true self, your true identity has been hijacked by your thinking. And so making that little move, which today is famously called mindfulness, uh, but by making that little mindfulness move of getting to the, the true state of identity as opposed to the mental hijack you've been in. So that's another way to get out of constricted consciousness. Uh, another one is music. Music's really good for getting out of constricted consciousness. Another one is meditation. Meditation is an instant out of constricted consciousness. When I was running your program last night, uh, before it, I was feeling quite constricted, two hours before. So I called my wife, I'm like, help, like, I, I gotta run this program, which means I gotta be totally expansive and I'm just constricted right now. And she said, you're going to meditate, that's it. And so I did, I did an hour of meditation. And then I did a little yoga for, for about a half hour. And then I walked in, I was fine. You know, it just took me right back to expanded consciousness. Um, another one is uh, prayer. Prayer is a big one. Uh, we call out to God, as the Pasuk says, From the constricted consciousness, I call to God. Anani, he answers me, with, with expansion, expansive consciousness. So, so prayer is is a big way to do it. Now, a lot of prayer is kind of, uh, you know, sometimes you're praying, especially around Bali Chuba, no offense to Bali Chuba, but when you're praying around them, 
uh, or or maybe around Litvox, I don't know, but it, it gets a little, it's kind of quiet. And um, it's it doesn't, prayer that's quiet doesn't necessarily take you out of your constricted consciousness. Whereas when you really blast out prayer, like you blast it, and and by the way, there's nothing against Bali Chuba, it's just that there's, they can be pretty self-conscious about their pronunciation. And so, because they're being self-conscious, they're not going to really say it so loud. They're, they're kind of self-conscious that they're going to say the words wrong, or they are, probably are saying the words wrong, actually. But they, so they, they're quiet. But when you go to a prayer group, like, for example, when I'm in Brooklyn, I always stop by a place called Samir on uh, 50th, uh, 52nd, maybe? 53rd? There's one on 52nd as well, though. Yeah, you went 52nd. I done 52nd because I stay on 48. So I get first 52nd. And their mikvah's newer. Yeah. yeah. Cleaner. Is it also cleaner? Yeah. It's nice and clean. Yeah, I like it. And, I, and the reason, how did I get there in the first place is because in Israel, even a poor man's mikvah, it's always three pools. There's the hot pool, the cold pool, and the boiling pool. And like even the mikvahs in like the communities that really have no no funds, still have three pools. Like you're not gonna have less than three pools. Somehow the old city mikvah only has two, which is embarrassing. But but that's the old city, and who knows? Because tight things are tight here. But the um, in America, all these rich communities, it's always two one pool or two pools. I even know like super rich fancy shuls and bar parks. It's just cold. No. It's just cold. Really? Yeah. Go to St. Louis. It's cold. Oh, not in New York. No, no, no New York. Oh, they, they shut down. It gets shut down. You were in St. Louis. They had a cold mikvah. Yeah, they, they, they don't heat it on jobs. It's freezing cold. Oh, because they don't want to heat it on <laughs> Oh, man. We have Litvox in my community that only go in the cold on Shabbos. The middle of winter, it's like freezing in the... And like every chassid just wants to get in that hot water, yeah. and the and the the litvox literally when they go in the cold water, I'm just like, my, my I get cold watching them. Litvox use the mikvah. Yeah, and the funny thing, the chassid who takes care of the mikvah doesn't change the water for the cold. So they're going. It's like soup, you know. Yeah, it's not. It's not. Yeah, it's not. Not potable, you know. And the but they have no choice. So I, I went to the Hasidic man who cleans the who changes the water, and I said to him, "Listen, you gotta have mercy on me, like, because he doesn't live in the neighborhood, he's not there. So you have to have mercy. There are a large part of our community that only use that pool. You gotta change it on Fridays. You just gotta change it. You can't do this to them." And he was like, "That, <laughs> forget that. <laughs> They'll figure it out." But uh, he finally started changing it. So now it's uh, you know it took like. A couple months, but he finally got the got on the ball, and so they now they have a cold pool that's clean. Um, uh, why are we talking about mikvahs? Expanded consciousness in the hot Oh, calling out in prayer. So, so the beauty of that minion in Brooklyn is when you're doing the psalms before Baruch Hu, and including after. By the time you get about three quarters of the way through, everyone's really like calling out in prayer. Everyone's calling out. And uh, here in Jerusalem, I pray in a place called Carlene. And Carlene's famous for for doing a what's called primal scream prayer. 
there's a therapy actually. You want to know something? There's a therapy called primal scream therapy. Yeah, I don't know if any of you ever had a primal scream. It, it's a, it's another world of scream. Meaning, I mean, if you saw someone about to pass in front of a bus that's flying, you would scream. But it's not this. Kind, you, it wouldn't be the kind of scream you can actually develop through. You know, it takes like a half hour, forty minutes to warm up first into the primal scream. And the uh, it's a it's a bellow like you have no idea. I can't even do it for you now because I didn't pray there this morning. If I prayed there this morning, I could do it for you now because I'd be warmed up for it. But it's insanely loud. And when you're with five, six, seven, eight hundred men doing it together, you can't even hear anything you're saying. So you go even louder. And the and it's amazing. I mean, it's just. But you come out of there, you're like super expanded, super expanded every time. Every time. Like, seriously, if you wake up on a weekday or a Shabbos in constricted consciousness, go pray in Carlene and watch what happens. Because it doesn't say, Mina Meitza Karasika, that I prayed. It's, I called out. You've got to call out. It's a, it's a calling out. And when you call out, like really call out, that's why it says in Nishmas uh, Kolchai, it says, Shavas Tatishma, that the prayers of, or the supplications of the impoverished, you listen. He listens. If someone's impoverished, God listens. But then it says, Tzakas but the screams of the destitute, like when someone finally screams, Takshi Vesoshia, you hear and you save. Which tells you that if you want, if you want salvation, you've got to get to the scream. And how are you going to get to the scream? You get to the scream when it hurts. People scream when it hurts. So you've got to get to that spot that just feels so far away and, and desires closeness and just let it rip. You know, just scream it out and give it everything you got. Um, next thing is for expanded consciousness is... Um, is uh, sports, sports cardiovascular specifically, is uh, you want to sweat. You got to do some kind of sport that gets you sweat. And if you do that and you really push it, you can get to expanded consciousness. Uh, there's a great author, um, I'm sorry, a screenplay like a producer. What do you call people who write television? Screenwriters. Screenwriter. A great screenwriter named David Duchovny, a Jewish man. Um, at one point, we were very close, and he was very close to Aish, and I miss him very much. Um, I wish he was watching right now. David, where are you? So he's, uh, um, this reminds me, uh, maybe send me a WhatsApp or something later to get in touch with David Duchovny or send it now. How do you spell it? Duchovny? D-U-C-H-O-V-N-Y. Anyway, he, you know what he did? He wrote... Um, you guys are probably too young to know this, uh, but you are probably know this. Uh, do you remember there was a show called The Love Boat and The Partridge from the Ground? Meaning he'd be like almost throwing up it till he falls. And when he falls, he pulls out his thing and he writes the script. And he was doing this already. Like when I, when I was hanging out with him, he was already in his late 60s. And he was still doing it. Still doing it all the time, which is probably not very safe for him. I hope he's okay. I don't really hurt from him. But uh, anyway, but that you see, that's where the idea is. That's where his creative 
his creative juices were flowing from this ex ex exhaustion that came. Um, another thing of expanded consciousness is travel. Uh, get out of your, just get out. You know, how many people have overdue, over, well overdue vacations? Uh, my brother Sam was just telling me about a friend of his, who's actually a friend of mine. <laughs> Funny, at the end of the story, I was like, I know that guy, because he just told me where he lives. I'm like, what? I know that guy. So he's a guy, and uh, I can't say much more, because it's not a happy story. He was such a workaholic that he had 10 years of vacation built up. Mm -hmm. How much vacation you get from a company a year? About two weeks? What? I think he had two weeks a year from his company, the lawyer. I think he had two weeks paid vacation a week a year. Really? Okay, whatever. But he had ten years of it built up. I mean, he almost had like he almost had a whole years of getting full salary of all accrued vacation time. Well, guess what happened? The company went bankrupt. Ten years at the grindstone, and they lost, they, they went bankrupt in the end. And so he lost it. And so he was living in full constricted consciousness as this full-on workaholic. And, and in the end, you know, he, he thought he was building something up, but all he was building up was, you know, cholesterol. And so what we need to do is, is make sure that we and take off sometimes. You gotta get out. Why? Because normally what's happening is um, when you live your like day-to-day -day life and you're in the ground, so you don't give God a lot of chance to play. There's just not a lot of room. You just keep going from your house to where you work to you know a couple restaurants you might frequent, back to your house, and it's like Bermuda Triangle, you know. You know, you're never leaving. And so, but when you hit the road, there are variables upon variables upon variables, and magical stuff happens there. But one of the things it does for us is we get much more expanded in consciousness. Um, I remember just as an example on that one, as I was in a, when I was a, a young kid growing up in America. Americans get very ethnocentric. They um, they believe they're like Americans, like every single one of them. And even when I got to the tour guide, he went like, like that as I went by, like he felt me coming. And, and Africans are amazing with the, when I'm when an African tour group, I don't, I don't even need my belt. I'm just silently racing down the street and they're just, something's coming, you know, and, uh, and also Asians. And I think Asians have a big bike culture. So they like, they like get that there's a bike coming without having to see it. Americans forget it. Like, like, I mean, I almost have to run them over to like wake them up the fact that I'm there. So listen to this. So I go on my, I go on my first, I did a lot of surf touring, but it was always to like uh, third world countries. But I went on my first European tour where I toured Europe for a whole summer. I don't know, weeks and weeks. I was probably two months maybe. And uh, <laughs> I, I arrived in Oslo, Norway. And uh, I remember the first thing I did, I'm, I'm a musician. So I, the first thing I did, I broke out my guitar case and, you know, started playing and just to raise money. I didn't look like this. I had a hundred of these coming down my back at the time. And I was playing. 
and people are chucking money. They're enjoying the, you know, they have real American rock artist, you know, playing on their streets. So they're really appreciative and pain, pain, pain. So I get all the money collected and I go to someone and ask him, what's it worth? And he's like, that's about $300. And I'm like, $300 in an hour? Like, that's it. I'm moving to Norway. Like, this is the best. So I decide I'm going to celebrate. So I go into a, a pub and uh, you know, I say, yeah, give me your best beer. Take a, you know, a pint. Best beer. So he pours me a beer. Drink the beer. I'm just in the best mood ever. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be rich. So, so I... <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so it was kind of funny what I did after that was uh, I went into a government uh, uh, bread store I bought a government bread and I got a government wine they had wine from the government and you know that was super cheap and then I just played on the streets and all I did was eat my bread and drink my wine yeah and, uh, and I didn't go near anything else after that. And I was just collecting all this money and kind of gathering it to, to leave with. And uh, I don't think I should tell the rest of the story, but uh, you can ask me privately <laughs> what, happened, what happened to my digestion, drinking, bread, <laughs> drinking wine and eating bread for a week. But it was a funny story in a train car. Um, anyway, <laughs> but I was asleep. Now, <laughs> okay, let's go, let's go on. The, but why am I talking about Europe now? I forgot how did I get on this subject. Oh, traveling is expands the consciousness, expands the consciousness. So besides that, it opens you up to the hot bath. Don't remember. Hot bath. Hot bath. Downtime means little break, taking a break. Down. Yeah, down. Planned downtime. So you'll notice that constricted consciousness people have no planned downtime, and they generally, they by the way, they still get downtime. Downtime. It's called catching a cold. What they'll do is they'll catch a cold, and then they get to be sick for three days and have some downtime. And, but is that where you want to get your expanded consciousness? Well, you know, with a fever, laying in bed, it goes way up. Never get sick anymore. There's no reason to ever get sick. Okay, deers don't get sick. So, when's the last time you saw a deer in the wild? You know, with a pack of tissue. Mm-hmm. So, the your body appreciates deeply that you give it a little downtime. And I suggest downtime daily. I do daily, um, but at least every other day, three days, never beyond three days, without taking that time off. Hour hour and a half, two hours. You're just going to give to yourself for an hour, hour or two. And this has so many positive effects. I'm not going to go into them because today's specifically on on expanding your constricted consciousness. But having those downtimes built into your schedule is is just gold. It's really gold. Um, And just one last thing is that those of you who crash after you eat chillin', and then wake up and you're kind of hurried to go to Mincha and then third meal. So maybe cut the sleep a bit, cut it off to an hour or two, and then take a walk. And go to some park or something. Just sit there and chill. Sit there and chill. And, uh, and give yourself that, that conscious time where you're not 
doing something. And uh, I don't remember if I mentioned Torah study. I did mention Torah, right? I did Torah yeah. study. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I spoke about spirituality, Torah study. Yeah. Oh yeah. Kabbalah. Yeah. Kabbalah, like learning something like Hasidut or something with Kabbalistic uh, levels to it. Thank you for the uh, subject, Moshe. Yeah, you bring your subjects here, and we will discuss them. And so, uh, anyone count how many how many ways of getting into expanded consciousness we had? What? Eleven. Not bad, right? Eleven ways. Uh, you'd be willing to screenshot that or something and send it to me? Yomtovglazer Gmail. Okay, my email is just Yomtovglazer Gmail. Any of the men who want to come do the Possible Use Seminar, there's a catch-up at six. You have to speak to me outside to find out if it's for you. But this is the only one going on in Jerusalem for about half a year. So, all the best. He never did the seminar? And you know I'm running one now. Started last night. There's a catch-up today. In town. Do you want to come? Ask me outside. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.